Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. We've all heard this familiar phrase, maybe from our kids, Mom, Dad, that's not fair. To which our response is, as every good parent, well, kid, life's not fair, is it? For me, uh, this, the most recent episode of this happened with my three kids. Uh, <clears throat> the, my, I got a picture of, of the three kiddos. Uh, my oldest two were at uh, soccer and baseball practice one night, uh, and these practices, they just keep going on and on and on forever and ever and ever. And uh, we didn't get out of practice. We were in practice at five and not out of practice till eight o'clock between the two of them. And, and so I'm driving them home and everybody else has already eaten dinner at home. And so I, I, we stopped by Wendy's. And I'm pretty sure the only redeeming factor of Wendy's is their Frosties. <laughs> and so I promised the kids let's, that we'll get Frosties. Well, you bring home two Frosties, and the third one doesn't have a Frosty, and you instantly get the message, well, where's my Frosty? Well, kid, life's not fair. And actually, it would have melted by the time we got home, and it wouldn't have been good anyway. So, uh, so uh, we, and as, uh, as good parents, um, caved under the pressure of the, uh, of the third child and got them ice cream at home. Um, but as we look at our text today in Luke chapter 15, we see a glimpse of the heart of God and how the notion of grace is beautifully defiant of the world's notion of equity. Yet we all seek and desire equity. Equity amongst brothers, ex- equity amongst the lost and the found equity. We, we want things to be right and fair and just. And so we're continuing in our series called Reflections. Reflections of the way in which we see ourselves in Scripture. I truly believe that the Word of God, this, this book, is a mirror into our souls. And so when we read the Word of God, as the Hebrew author said in Hebrews 4.12, He said, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, ready to cut both both soul and spirit, dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. Nothing in all creation, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so if this word of God is alive and active, if it is a, uh, a mirror back into our soul that speaks of our creator, 
the creator in whom we were made in his image, when we look at the image that we were created in and we see our own image in the text, it ought to, it ought to judge the attitudes and the thoughts of our heart. And none of us are exempt from that. And so as we dive into the word today, today um, in Luke chapter 15, we see uh, the beautiful ways that, that we are contrasted from the heart of God. That our heart towards equity is contrasted with the grace and the heart of God. Would you go to God uh, in prayer with me as we dive into the word of God? Holy Spirit, would you take these, these words that are laid before us God, would you, would you make them a mirror into our soul? God, would we see you in the midst of it and would, would we uh, test our hearts against yours so that we might further align with you, so we might step into obedience with you, so we might allow the Holy Spirit on this day of Pentecost to fill our lives, transform us, mold us, shape us into your image. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 So we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open there. Uh, Luke chapter 15, last week we talked about the first two lost stories. The story of the the lost sheep, and the story of the lost coin. Well, these these stories are are meant to be told in unison, in, in, uh, in series, We have three lost stories, and the third one is the story of the prodigal son. But these stories are all told in light of verse 1 and 2 of chapter 15. And I think we oftentimes get those out of context, these these stories out of context, because we lose sight of of who the audience is that is listening and hearing this. So in in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, Jesus is speaking... It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And he heard this, so he told them a parable. Suppose you were a man. Suppose you were a shepherd. And so he's, he's intentionally talking to the Pharisees who have, who have been judgmental about the people that Jesus has surrounded himself with, the tax collectors and the sinners. And so in, con- in that context, we see this story of the prodigal son. In the story of the sheep, he asked the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes to compare themselves to a shepherd. Suppose you were a shepherd. He puts them in the story. And immediately they would have said, well, I'm better than a shepherd. And then he puts them in comparison to a woman who lost her coins. And and they immediately would have said, well, I'm better than a woman, of course. And then, and then he puts them, he doesn't tell them that they are in this story until the very end. And I love this, this, this passage because it's kind of broken into three different parts. And we'll, we'll dive into those three parts. And each of these stories, each, each of these parts of the prodigal son, you could probably name this, this parable something different if you focused on each part. The first part, you might call it the story of the prodigal son, like it's oftentimes called. 
The second part, you might call it the story of the gracious father. The third part, you might call it the story of the righteous and equitable son. Which doesn't sound so bad, does it? So hear these words. From Luke chapter 15, it's a long text, so I'm going to spare your legs uh, and not require you to stand. But, we, uh, but stand in your hearts as we uh, honor and respect the word of God this morning. And I'll pause in a couple places and kind of uh, illuminate some things. So in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, we hear these words. Jesus continued in the third story. <clears throat> there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he sent off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, a Gentile, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs and no longer, or no longer to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. No one gave him anything. End of the first part of the story, the story of the prodigal son, the son who runs away, who had it all in his father's possession, turned his nose at the father and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing on my own. I can, I can do this thing better, better on my own than I can with you. And he runs away. Begin part two. When he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have, have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, and he's rehearsing this in, the, in this moment, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. He realized in this moment that his efforts were not enough. That all of the things that he had done were not enough to provide for himself, were not sufficient to save him from the situation that he was in. I actually have a, a, a video of him realizing this in this moment. We have been in one of those moments where you finally realize that all of your efforts, all of the time that you've been spinning your wheels, trying to fix yourself, trying to, to get back on solid ground, you realize that your ability is insufficient and that you need something outside of yourself to bring you healing, to bring you rest, to bring you joy, to bring you peace. He recognized that his situation was so dire that he couldn't provide for himself. And so he got up in verse 20 and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him and filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned. This is the speech that he was preparing. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Stop. Stop right there. Don't say another word, said the father. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. I think there's something interesting that the, the author that Luke is doing in this text. See, he's comparing what, what the son saw about himself and what the father sees about the son. You see, in, this, in the, the, the son's preparation of his message, he said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against you. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, the son, who had recognized that, that he, had, he had messed up, who had recognized that his life wasn't what it was called to be, that his identity was more than, than this, this, the actions that he had been partaking in, he came back to take on a new identity. An identity that was only worthy of being a servant. And what the beautiful thing that the father does in this moment is he stops him before he can claim this, this lower identity. And he calls him to a much higher identity. He calls him to, to, to dine at his table, to, to, to have the ring of identity placed back on his finger of the original identity, not the identity that, that he felt like he deserved. Isn't that grace? A gift in which we do not deserve. Where we deserve the lower identity, we deserve something much less because of the actions of our lives, the things that we've done, but God calls him back. The Father calls him back to his greater identity to be restored as son. Verse 24, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And so they began to celebrate. I want you to also recognize that the, the plot of, his, of this, this young man's story is only six verses. Six verses is the, the plot of his whole past. All of the things that he has done wrong. Notice Luke doesn't dwell there. Luke doesn't dwell on all of the past doings and, and wrongings. He only spends six quick verses and he spends eight telling about how much the father loves his son. Maybe you've messed up in the past. Maybe you've made mistakes in your life that, that you regret. Or that's not, the, that's not the main plot of the story, my friends. The mistakes that you have made are all building up to the response of the father. The mistakes that we have made in our past are only building 
to the beautiful response of grace that the Father offers. And then we get the third part of the story. The story of the righteous and equitable son. You know, Luke could have ended it right there. And so we celebrate. We celebrate because the lost has been found. In fact, in the, in the two previous stories, he does stop right there. When the coin is found, they celebrate. They invite people over and they celebrate. When the sheep is found, he brings them back into the flock and then they celebrate. But here, Luke and Jesus are, are doing something unique. In fact, they're putting the Pharisees back into the story where they were inserted at the very beginning as the shepherd who had lost one of the 99. He said, well, wouldn't you go out and find him? And their response probably would have been, no. It's a negligible loss. One out of 99. But here, he puts them back in the story as the brother. Hear these words. In verse 25, we begin. It says, meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. And when he came, to, came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of his servants and asked him what's going on. He said, your brother has come, he replied. And your father was, has killed the fattened calf because he is back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and, and never disobeyed your orders. I'm righteous. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? The father replies, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So where's the conclusion of this story? This is the, the, the question that my daughter always asks. Um, she always, every time we're watching a movie, she tries to figure out the end of the story. And she always, she has this in her mind that every story ends as a happy ending. And so she paints the most rosy picture of the end of this story. But the gospel authors, they don't necessarily do that for us in scripture. They don't tie it all up with a nice little bow. It doesn't talk about how the, the son goes into the party and embraces his brother and finally realizes that, that his love for his brother is greater than the past wrongs that he's done. No, it didn't end that way. In fact, uh, the, the writers in scripture oftentimes leave us with cliffhangers like this. In the story of the rich young ruler, they leave us with the, the ruler walking away saddened because he had so many great possessions. He was conflicted by the, the, the voice, the, the message of Jesus. Or in Jonah, we see that Jonah was uh, sitting up at the edge of this hill looking out over Nineveh who had just been saved. Infuriated. 
that God would have grace on a people so wrong as this. It doesn't leave us with a nice happy ending and this is a, um, this is something that the gospel, that the writers do so that we might put ourselves in the shoes of the main character of this story, which is the son. Not the, not the prodigal son, but the righteous son. Luke is setting up for the reader this question as he compares the father's heart and the son's heart. He's asking the audience, the readers, this question, which one are you? Which one are you? Whose heart do you possess for the lost? What do you think, what do you think the brother would have done if he was standing on the outside of the of the, of the property and he intercepted the, the son before the father did. Guarantee that son wouldn't have, wouldn't have made his way in, uh, across that fence. He might have ran out to him real quick, but not with compassion, not with love in his heart. Do we let our need for equity block our calling to grace? Do we let our, our past pains, our past hurts, our past biases block us from the calling that God has, has put on our hearts for grace? Something that we do not deserve, a gift in which we do not deserve. I think this passage, friends, is a challenge for us as the church. Do we let our hurts, our fears, our self-righteousness prevent us from loving compassion. This is the place the Pharisees were stuck. They couldn't accept that Jesus desired more than, more than to eat with them, desired to eat with the sinners and the tax collectors. They couldn't get over that. And their hurts by the sinners and the tax collectors prevented them from, from, from allowing and offering them grace. But notice, notice this one thing, church. The father, he pursues them with compassion. He throws his arms around them and kisses them. Are you responding to the world in the same way? Maybe not kissing them. That, that would be a little bit weird, right? You might, you might send some mixed signals if we actually echo the actions of the father in this situation. But, uh, but what, what happens here is, is that he goes out and receives his son, check this out, before the son confesses and repents. Did you see that? Before the son ever gets a word out, he has already pursued, chased after, ran out to meet that son at the edge of the parking lot before they could ever step foot in the place. Confession and repentance, my friends, is the work of the Lord. It is not a requirement for someone to be loved and accepted as a person. But confession and repentance happens after the embrace of the Father. Church, I don't believe that this is a call to accept all of the Son's behaviors in the foreign land. Absolutely not. But this is a call to, to accept the person in spite of those behaviors. 
And this is a hard tension for us in the church. This is a hard place for us to sit. A place that that no other institution in all of culture has to sit. But we as the church are called to not fully extend our arm of, of pushing away and are called to a deep sense of love for the identity of the person. Attention to not accept someone's sin, but to accept the person out of love and compassion before they even confess or repent. Notice nowhere in that story did the father say, hey, go clean up and then we'll have a party. Go inside, take a shower, get yourself right, and then we can go party. No, he throws a clean robe on a dirty human. He throws the righteousness of God on a dirty, broken sinner. He puts a ring of identity on a dirty, broken sinner. Kills the fattened calf to celebrate for a dirty, broken sinner like you and me. That's the call of the church, friends. Recognizing, recognizing that our sin is not our identity is a challenging task. Because the the enemy wants to define us by our weakest moment. The enemy wants us to be put into a category based on one sin, based on the, the, the things of our past, based on our brokenness. But what he reminds us every day is that we are created in the image of God, that we are image bearers for the the creator of the universe. And that, my friends, is our identity. I'll close with this. Our call, church, our call, church, is to go and meet them. Not just stand and wait for them to come to us, but to go and meet them not with judgment, not with hurt, not allowing our past to prevent us from the grace that they deserve or that they don't even deserve. Our call, church, is to pray that the lost would come to acknowledge that their efforts to reduce the flood of brokenness in their lives like a flood bucket are not enough, that their efforts are unproductive and would turn to the Father. Church, our call is that when they do, when they begin to seek after God, that they would find God here. That they would find God in you. That they would find the grace and the love and the compassion in you. And that you'd be able to wrap your arms around them at the edge of the property, loving and compassionate and embrace them. And three, that we would trust in the Lord. We trust in the Lord to bring repentance. We trust in the Lord to bring confession. That we trust in the Lord to bring righteousness and sanctification into their lives. As they are embraced like the sinners and the tax collectors that sat with Jesus at the table. Church, who is the person or the people that God is calling you to set aside your desire for equity and to pursue with a heart of compassion and undeserved grace? Who is that person or those people in your life? And remember, 
It's the sick that need a doctor. But they can't see the doc unless we willingly invite them into the hospital. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you pour out your presence on us? Would you lead us, guide us, mold us, shape us? Would you call us into deeper and deeper fellowship with you so that we might resemble the image of God, so that we might be ambassadors of your grace to the world? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. As we continue in worship, we, uh, we're singing a song about the, the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite things about this passage is that the hidden actor in all of this story is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that goes and pursues after the prodigal son. It's the Holy Spirit that, that brings to recognition the error of his ways. It's the Holy Spirit who offers grace. It's the Holy Spirit who calls us. So as we sing today, as we celebrate Pentecost and the day that the church was born, would you sing with a spirit of joy and spirit of peace? Amen. Amen.